Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Lola. The Label Podcast is a show about disability, illness and difference. We cover very personal and sometimes controversial topics. As such, listeners may hear language, including profanity or terminology, that they find offensive. Please be aware of this as you listen to this week's episode. Hello everybody and welcome to a bronze new episode of Labelled the Podcast. Today we have Lee with us. Um, Lee, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, yep. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Lee. I have cerebral palsy and I am a advocate um, specifically dealing with mental health. Um, I'm a bit bit crazy and a bit of a nonconformist. Um, uh, just really passionate about disability awareness um, and getting positive messages out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Alice, do you want to kick off with your line of questions? Uh, sure. So um, I just, I thought you said that you're, you know, a bit nonconformist. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think that that's kind of a personality trait? Do you think that's something that you developed because, you know, growing up with a disability? How do you, how do you sort of experience that? Well, the, the, you know, there's, the, there's many facets that, you know, um, what tends to happen when you're growing up, and I was uh, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. So uh, what tends to happen is is that all disabled people in them days just got lumped together. Um, and I, I really wasn't really keen on being lumped together. Uh, I wanted to do my own thing and formulate my own identity. You know, because the trouble is, is that when you're lumped together as a whole, society believes that you the identity is one, not a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided that uh, either consciously or subconsciously that I wanted to strike out and do my own thing. And I also feel that one of the things that spurned me to do my own thing is that at that time, society was trying to dictate to me what I was allowed, what I deserved, what I um, was entitled to. You know, whether that be a job, whether it be a relationship, you know, whether it be any of those things. And I think, you know, what made me strike out is the fact that I was determined to buck the stereotype and um, do my own thing. It's really interesting, actually, Lee, that you, you sort of say about sort of being lumped together. And I think somewhere in my sort of deep down unconsciousness, even though I have friends who are disabled, I wouldn't necessarily say that I am altogether happy about being lumped in with everybody. So I've got friends of mine who have got cerebral palsy and all sorts of different um, disabilities, and I love I love them dearly. 
However, when I have to go to places like gigs or, you know, like live music events where you're sort of all sat on a ramp together and that kind of thing, and I don't know these people from Adam, but other people who don't know me and just walk past that line of people who are sat on the access ramp would go, oh, look, they're coming out and enjoying themselves. And I really don't like being lumped with disabled or you know disabled people that i don't know do you understand it's just the um you know you're you're all disabled so you must all know each other i have constantly yeah. have people asking me if i know other guide dog users and <laughs> because i do a lot of fundraising and stuff actually i do know quite a lot of guide dog users yeah. but quite often people will be like oh do you know bob and his dog steven <laughs> and i'm just like no yeah no, you know, oh, yeah, they live in Glasgow. You sort of think, no, of course I don't know them. <laughs> or they expect no. us all to get on. And actually, mm. you know, I, I, you know, we yep. don't all get on. You know, you can, we're just like other people. And, and just because, like, we've got similar understanding of things, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bonding thing, that we must be, like, friends. We can still disagree and think you're an absolute arsehole sometimes do you know what i mean it's that kind of being stuck together as oh you must know like i've been asked before do you know my auntie's sister's brothers because he's in a wheelchair and i'm like no i don't even know your auntie you know what i mean (laughs) it's that kind of there is that sort of autopilot thing that even disabled people will automatically look at a wheelchair going by and go do I know them? <laughs> Which yeah. is, is, is something I automatically do, you know, and, and I think, oh, I don't, you know. And, <laughs> and, you know, the thing is as well, I think just because you have the same um, condition, uh, it doesn't mean that you have the same um, traits no. um, or same view on life. And, uh, yeah. you know, this... Or even the same experience of that condition. No, no exactly. Although I do just... I do just want to go back a little bit and say that uh, you, Lee, talking about somebody in a wheelchair going past and you go, oh, do I know them? Made me think of my guide dog when she sees other guide dogs. (laughs) Even if she doesn't know who they are, she's like, oh, we've got the same job. I always think she's rushing over to start a union or something. (laughs) It's a bit like... I've got, I've got to do this thing that's called like the, the sort of wheelchair hedge nod. So you see, you see... You see somebody like in a wheelchair coming towards you. You don't know them, but you kind of want to acknowledge that you've seen them, and you go, "All right." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, back... it's like, yeah, it's cripple etiquette. It's yeah. basically what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's the same with being in wheelchairs on mobility scooters. We all do it. Yeah. And um, it's just a sense of acknowledgement, and I think probably where that comes from is an innate connection with the idea of not being seen. I was you just know. going to say that I yeah. imagine it comes from the fact that you you're used to not being acknowledged by people without disabilities, so that, you acknowledge right. one another. Yeah, it is just an acknowledgement. It's nothing else. No. no, you don't want to start a conversation. You just want to go. All right. No, I yeah. don't want to do anything. I've got too no. much to do. Yeah, I want to walk past it. I'll give you a head nod and I'll look at you and then I'll just carry That's on. It. Do not it, engage exactly. me with any further conversation. Well, I'm normally going so fast that even if they try to do that, I, I can't. Uh, they're just about to turn around and go, hello. And if you've got CP, turning around is quite hard. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really weird, actually, because, uh, you know, I don't, nobody, I don't really speak about the 
the acknowledgement thing we do in the street to anybody else because nobody's ever really asked or noticed, I don't think. Uh, my partner does. My partner notices it all the time. I always do it. Yeah, yeah. It's... And she always laughs. <laughs> You're sort of both talking about this kind of a camaraderie amongst fellow wheelchair users, but then... Lee, you also said at the beginning, you know, that you felt this kind of push, you wanted to push back against that being, uh, as you said, lumped in with all the other disabled yeah. people. Do you sort of, have you, have you found that there's a bit of conflict there between the, the being part of, you know, a tribe, but also trying to find your own identity? Well, it depends on when it is, uh, where it is, when it is, what the agenda is. Um, for example, you know, like your um, example about being at a gig and being yeah. on the ramp. Yeah. I really don't give a shit about that because all I care about is the fact that I've got better seats than probably anybody in the house. <laughs> well, it depends where you go, really. Uh, uh, well, at the NEC, um, it's right at the front on the side of the stage. So yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care about that. I think I've got a better seat than you just because I'm in a wheelchair. You know, that that's all I think about. Well, and I always think, at a gig as well you're probably going to meet a lot of like-minded people because they're people who are into the same music as you otherwise yeah. they yeah, wouldn't yeah. bother yeah. to be there yeah. I, do, yeah. I do have to apologize to the people sat around me in earshot that i will sing to every song <laughs> and it will be very bad and you will get very pissed off with me very quickly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no i mean I, I i travel all over the you know i travel all over the country and i've been you know abroad Mm. Um, for gigs and stuff and yeah. you know and I always find people are very accommodating and it's it's fine but it is um, I don't think about that kind of thing in that situation but if somebody was to turn around and say to me say for example if I was single and they said would you like to go on undateables oh no I wouldn't do that no because it's you know that's a socially acceptable freak show Yes. But, and that's also lumping people to, together. And it's also saying that actually the curious, the curiosity of disabled people having the same emotions and same needs and wants as everybody else mm. is different. You yeah. know? So I'm fundamentally opposed to that. I have big issues with the undateables and I've been single. I've been single for a very long time. And people often say to me, oh, have you tried the undateables? And I'm like, don't, don't even know because there is nothing about me i don't i don't even want the insinuation that i am undateable you know yeah. and i think the word the, the title in itself is is enough to go no thank you i don't want to be associated with that at all yeah you know because i have a hard enough time believing that i am attractive enough that you know that kind of thing and I don't need society to think, oh, yeah, she's weird, she is, because, you know, she's after. Yeah, because it compounds, that kind of programme compounds possibly inner beliefs of the disabled person. Yeah. So if you go on a date, it doesn't work out. In your head, you're going to go, well, of course it didn't work out. Yeah. And, and that can have profound psychological problems yeah. later. I think yeah. fundamentally a decision to go on a reality TV show is quite reflective of a person's self-esteem in general. Mm. So yeah. I'd yeah. sort of, I'd, I'd be inclined to say, even as a, you know, if I were a non-disabled person and I got invited to go on a date on the Undateables, I'd be a bit like, 
never mind this person's you know physical sensory intellectual disability there's there's going to be some baggage here do i want to deal with that well everybody's got baggage whether they're able-bodied or disabled it's yeah. just no, that I- absolutely but i think choosing to go on reality tv means you've got a certain kind of baggage yeah you're a certain <laughs> kind of person if you choose to lay your life out um I you think know. I think we just have to be thankful that nobody has has said to me. Have you have you ever thought about going on naked attraction? Because that is a hard hard pass. Well, somebody has asked me if I wanted to do that, and I said, "Look, it would take me four hours to get my shoe off." So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad I'm married because it means I never have to date again. Definitely a relief. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know things always happen when you're not looking. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been with my partner 15 years and I wasn't looking. And, um, you know, and, uh, and that's what I think. But I just wanted to say, going back to your original question, Alan, that... Yeah, so we've gone off on the tangent. Yeah. The only, the, the, one of the only places where I do allow connections with it, I'm a member of a um, performing arts group called Ego Performance Company. And we are uh, a group of actors um, that are a mixture of all different types of disabilities. And they're also able-bodied people as well. Mm. Um, and we all act and we all do plays like last, over the lockdown, we did a, a soap called Corona Nation Street, which was done via Zoom um, <laughs> and phone. And it, it was brilliant. It got it got spread in the Telegraph, Coventry Telegraph. And, um, you know, because we never turn anybody away because we're no. completely... Um, inclusive and um you know it's wonderful it's the only place it's the only time in my life where i allow that but i don't allow that about my disability it's an opportunity for me to escape yeah so like last christmas i um played richard the third and we changed it we called it richard the spaz and um there was a real issue with the word spaz, but I, mm. I love that word. It's my favourite word. Um, and, um, you know, we did that. And that's the only time where I concede, where I, um, you know, mix with other disabled people. Yeah, and there is a time and a place for it. I mean, I I think I went to a special school and I was there from the age of three to the age of uh, 19-ish. Yeah, me too. Um, Four, 17. Yeah. I think by the time I left school, I had had my fill of say uh, I got my disabled friends that I didn't want anymore. Do you know what I mean? And then I went to a mainstream college, and I got a load of mainstream friends. Is mainstream friends the right phrase? I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 why don't you just call them friends? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I got I got quite quite a few um, non-disabled friends. Um, and I, yeah, I've got that quite nice balance now because all I knew, I think, growing up, all my friends, apart from family friends, all my friends that were school friends were friends with disabilities. Before I started school, I didn't know anybody with any disabilities. I only knew me. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? So it's we. I've gone through like stages in my life where I think I've had enough of disabled friends. I want some non-disabled friends, and then I think, so I've still got. Dis- people people who have got disabilities who've got who are my friends and I still keep in touch with them regularly but it's not kind of like constant all the time will you be my friend do you want to come around for sleepover that kind of thing it's not it's a complete as you get older it's a completely different relationship isn't it and well I think it, I think it is for any any 
um, good friendship, regardless of yeah. what the general makeup is. Um, yeah. uh, m- me personally, I have a mixture of uh, of all kinds. I don't have, uh, you know, many disabled close friends, but you know, I just do what I, you know. I like who I like. I'm a bit like Marmite. You either despise me or love me and you know if you love me you really love me and if you despise me there's no going back you know and that and I, and I have no problem with that yeah and I but I do think as well that in fact I was saying this to my mum this morning the fact that I feel it's very difficult to make friends with disabled people because they get this kind of oh I don't know what to say kind of thing so if I spend half my time calming them down making sure they're happy enough and all that you know like that they're, they're they're not you know they're not startled as much i should say they're not happy enough not not happy enough comfortable you mean cool. yes that's what i mean my my brain's not working this morning alice because my... it's been a long week Luke. it's, it's been, been a long week it's brain damage i, I don't know <laughs> it, could be, it could be i could be just like, i'm very tired and i've not had enough tea look i'm fed up with these excuses you know you've got to get a grip yeah <laughs> wake up lucy wake up as somebody who didn't go to a school for people with you know support needs and disabilities i had i had mainstream friends um and i didn't have anybody who understood my disabled experience for a really long time and so for me actually meeting people who have the same disability experience as me has been really nice and I've developed some really close friendships with people. I mean, what it ultimately boils down to is that I have things in common with them that extend beyond those, you know, our our disabled experiences. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that, um, and uh, it's funny enough, I've got the director of the theatre company that I belong to is a very close friend. I've known her a long time and um what we were discussing this um and what she was saying we've got there is someone in our circle that's trans and um what we were sort of saying is is that this person um her whole life is defined by that experience that's Mm. all she talks about that's all she you know that's all she wants to talk about. It, it's it's just heavy, heavy, heavy all the time. Yeah. And um, whereas me, um, you know, I have cerebral ty- cerebral palsy. It's a tiny speck of my personality. Uh, you know, even when I, you know the first time I met Alice, you know, yes, we had the obligatory, you know, to what's wrong with you, what's wrong with you, <laughs> uh, and then and then, but we swiftly moved on to other stuff. You know, yeah. and and because when you're talking to somebody else who has a disability. It's boring talking about disability. What we're interested in is we're interested in other stuff, you know, which is hence why I'm here. I was going to say, then you've come to the wrong place because this is a disability <laughs> podcast. Right? I know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we have, we have been saying that, haven't we, this week, Alice, the fact that um, to, to many people we've talked talk to this week, the fact that, you know, what is it about disabled people and other disabled people that makes non-disabled people so like frightened to say anything when actually i like you say leah disability is like the tip the very 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 tip of the iceberg of what we want to talk about i think the problem is um and this is a very controversial point is is that i strongly believe i am of the um, position that disabled people Mm. Um, as a whole have a responsibility to 
the way that they behave and the way that they interact in society. And, then the, and what I mean by that is, is that when I out, you know, for whatever reason, um, I have to make sure every time that the experience that somebody has with me is a positive experience. Because I am well aware that the experience, if it is anything else but positive, can be so damaging to that person's perception, not just of me, but of disability in a whole, as a whole. And yeah. what needs to happen is it's simple things like, for example, silly things that, you know, irritate me. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a, um, um, Olympian, Paralympian, who um, is a wheelchair user um, on a train. Um, she uh, wanted to go to the toilet. The toilet was out of order. Um, so they said that they would stop the train so that she could get off and go to the toilet and reboard the train. Unfortunately, by the time they got to the train station, she wet herself and she sued the train company. Now, to me, and this person was a Paralympian, quite quite well decorated, uh, and um, this was all over the news, um, and she settled. You know, they gave her a lot of cash. That was that. And she went on this morning, and I saw her coming into the building, and she this person held the door open. She didn't even say thank you. Mm. She didn't even turn around and acknowledge the person who'd held the door open for her. And I was pointing out when this was all kicking off, because I was incensed, not at the fact that she'd wet herself, it was at the fact that she had the audacity to sue the train company. Because I believe that shit happens. These type of things happen. And it's nobody's fault. Now, she could have used her platform as a Paralympian for a much more constructive way. And she could have said, look, this happened, this was unpleasant. Let's see what we can do to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Let's what what can we do? What dialogue can I have with you to try and get this all instead of browbeating a train company that is doing its best. And if you go back to the Disability Discrimination Act, up until that was in force, you if you were a disabled person you had to sit in the guards van. Yeah. And I just thought it was appalling. And I just said, if I'd have been that train company, I would have not given her a damn penny. Because, you, see, uh, you know. No, I, I really disagree with that, actually, because I think, no, some people have a fundamental human right to be able to relieve themselves when they need to relieve themselves on public yeah, yeah. transport. Yeah. And if, if a train finds that its access toilet is out of action, then the train company have a responsibility to provide an accessible, uh, you know, a train that yeah. is fully accessible for this person. And, yeah. and I think that, um, you know, especially considering how much train tickets cost and how much yeah. the, board member, the board members of train companies make. Yeah. I think I, I appreciate that she could have perhaps been gentler in her approach to kind of raising the issue but sometimes that gentle approach, you know, that gentle approach might not have got the media coverage that it did. And if the, you know, that media coverage probably put the fear of God into other train companies because all that matters to those people is their profits. And they don't want to be paying out for other disabled people who, who now know that 
if they find themselves on a train and there's no accessible toilet, they can turn around and sue. Yeah, but the other argument to that would be that that, that, that toilet was not just inaccessible. That toilet was not just out of action for her. You know, most train, most toilets on trains are all disabled, accessible. They, they, they all are now. So what I'm sort of saying is there wasn't just no facilities for her. There was no facilities for anyone. It just, you know, and what I'm saying is, is that other people also had to suffer that. It wasn't just her. It wasn't just directed at her. Lots of other people on that train had to suffer that, um, you know, that. And I, I agree. It's not. A, it's not pleasant. And I do understand the importance of media awareness. And I think you've got a very valid point that um, they would have shaken the fear of God. But my biggest worry is the overall perception of how she comes across. And her victory may have been that it may be that um, other train operators, quite rightly, as you say, it may have put the fear of God in them, and it may have asked them to pull their socks up. There's a wider battle which she lost, which is her her demeanour, her responsibility for how she comes across and how she comes across to the wider public and their perception of people with disabilities. And that that's the battle she lost. And she could have won both had she played it better. Yeah, I happen if you if you if you look at that point that Lee's just made about, you know, it's it's about the way you phrase things and you know, being a bit more having that positive interaction with people day to day when you're out and about in the house I definitely do feel that sort of response I feel that responsibility too because I I have to keep in the back of my head at all times that I may be the first disabled person somebody's ever met and exactly and so therefore because I may be their first experience of course they're going to ask the stupid questions of course they're gonna they're going to you know possibly not phrase questions the right way and it may cause offence but again I know from a personal point of view I know that when people are being malicious and when they're not and when it's just a genuine like I didn't know any better um so I welcome people to ask me questions. Of yeah, anything. don't stare, ask. Yeah, but I'd rather <laughs> you ask than sit there gawping with your mouth open, yeah. looking at me as if I'm an alien. Uh, yeah. Just ask that question because I will answer it. And I can yeah. guarantee you it's not the first time I've been asked it. But don't you feel that the experience of 90% of disabled people is people trying to be careful and trying to be aware of what they say and trying to put out that positive image and yet it's still the 10% of people who are selfish and you know offer negative representations that the public and that the media continue to latch on to is that really the responsibility of the disabled community? It's just, this is not necessarily my opinion. Yeah. This is just me putting yeah. it out there. Is it? Is it the responsibility of the disabled community to keep fighting and pushing to, to yeah. be positively, to represent themselves positively when the media is not doing it? Yeah. That, you know, at the end of the day, yes, it is. Um, because at the end of the day, if we were to go by that argument, you're allowing an interpretation or warped interpretation um, portrayed in the media to win 
the media isn't our, it when it comes to disability i don't think is our friends no. see you see bond villains and they've got facial disfigurement or um the new witches film and it's like she's got hand deformity and so and so and then you turn the television on and you hardly ever see a disabled person and when you do it's like oh you know nobody like um the lady who was on the bake-off who had half an arm and nobody mentioned it that was like hallelujah praise and also when i'm a celebrity so exactly. you know. yeah nobody yeah. knows nobody bats an eyelid and you're like oh this is novel i wonder if this is the new norm now so because the media isn't doing us any favors i think the disabled community go well if the media isn't helping project that message of you have to yeah. you have a responsibility to because at the end of the day you know it, it can have such an amazing effect because what i'm sort of saying is i mean a, a classic example I, I i always use is that i uh, travel using journey care mm. the train service right and um i remember when i first met my partner and i was taken aback to meet my parents for the first time and all that and um we were at ely station and this chap turned around and said to me uh, Oh, uh, what are you doing in Norwich then? Oh, I said, I'm uh, taking my girlfriend to meet my parents. He said, are you nervous? I said, no, I know them. <laughs> uh, uh, and, um, you know, another one said, oh, um, have you got any baggage? I said, what, me personally? Or, or you, you know, it, it's those kind of things, those kind of little interactions. Or even um, closer to that, I was in Kew Gardens um, a couple of weeks, uh, well, about a month or so ago, five, six weeks ago. Um, and this chap... Uh, security guard was trying to say to me can I walk down steps and yeah. he didn't ask me he asked the people I was with yeah. and but I didn't bat an eyelid about that because you don't need to bat on that all you need to do is go yes I can yes and 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 his whole demeanor then changed you know so it is our responsibility because if we don't do it who is yeah. and we're the only people that can control how that is portrait i can control how i come across mm. you know in my sphere yeah and the great thing is if that person has a positive experience they're going to go back and tell their wives their husbands their partners about that experience and that little tiny interaction will change the way that they then approach a particular situation and that has to be good i i agree with what you're saying but i sort of think you can spend a lot of little spoons doing that sort of thing you know, with every person you meet and they, as you said, go away and they tell their partners and their kids. And that's maybe the perceptions of three or four people fundamentally changed. Or you can spend some bigger spoons trying to actually get the media to recognise what they're doing and get people to recognise, you know, the public to recognise what the media is doing in its representation and potentially reach millions. You could, and the same the thing still applies. That you know, I don't know who I could be talking to a, a, a you know a media producer. I could I could be interacting with a, a producer. I could be interacting with somebody from the BBC and on a on a train journey. You you wouldn't know. You know, if you look at the disability coverage, I mean, look at it. You know, on Channel Five, we know how full coverage of the, of the Special Olympics. That would never have happened twenty years ago. No. That would never have happened 20 years ago and certainly never without uh, before the disability discrimination act you know i am a product of that wonderful piece of legislation when it first came in 
I didn't think it was going to be enforceable, but I am a product of that. I am a product of those opportunities. And through that wonderful act, you know, it has broken down barriers. And yes, it has forced people to wake it up, but it has also forced people to have a chat, have a dialogue, not be frightened, ask the questions. Yes, there's always people that are always going to be not very nice. And I agree with you, Alice, you know, these little tiny spoon feeds, you get a bit bored and you get it gets tiring. And it does. Some days it does. Some days it feels like it's wait, like you're wading through treacle. Yeah, yeah. And you just think, why am I bothering? But then other days yeah. you have really good days and you think, I have. I always yeah. remember a little boy coming up to me in a supermarket and um, he got he was sort of looking at me, but he was with his mum and his mum was kind of holding onto the trolley and he was looking at me, but he wasn't staring. He was just, it was a curious look rather than a gawk. And I waved at him. He came out, he like wandered over and he said, um, hello. I said, hello. And he said, uh, what's that? Pointing to the chair. I said, it's a wheelchair. And because I know I didn't go into the whole diagnosis. He was only like five. And I said, I've got, you know, I've got poorly legs and they don't work. So I have to have a wheelchair. And he said, does it hurt? And I said, no, it doesn't hurt. And he said, um, there was no, oh, it's a shame or anything like that. And he, he went, he was carrying a box and he said, can I show you my game of Hungry Hippos? Mommy says, when I get <laughs> home. And I was like, that is, like, I'd, he'd taken the information on. He, yeah. he was yeah. absolutely not bothered by it. And he, he yeah. wanted to show me his game of Hungry Hippos. We had a chat about Hungry Hippos and he went again. It's a bit yeah. like, and you just think, yeah. and you get all the, other parents who go don't stare and snatch them away and go we don't talk to people like that yeah i mean the best experience i had was in america i was in orlando and um when you're going up towards um universal studios yeah um, you go up there's a, about a three mile thing with loads of stalls before you even get to the park and this little boy was really giving me you know stares and uh, the mother of the little boy said if you gonna don't stare go up and ask yeah so um he came up and he asked what was you know what was wrong and i gave him all his answers he wanted and i said do you, you want to ride on my chair do you want to go and i checked with his mum his mum said yes so anyway i took him for a spin on this electric wheelchair brought him back and he loved it <laughs> his mother his mother turned around and said i've spent hundreds of dollars on my boy today and that's the first time he smiled Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> it is a bit it is a bit like that thing, isn't it, of buying a child a brand new toy and then wanting to play with a cardboard box kind of thing. Yeah, like, that's it. Yeah. yeah, a bit like a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the feeling you get when you have a really good experience far outweighs the bad ones. Yeah. And it, it is exhausting, it is knackering. And there is times where you think you are like a performing monkey. Yeah. And you think, oh, here we go. Here's the questions. Psych yourself up for it. My friend, my best friend, he will know when I'm nervous in a, a new situation because I'm doing the jokes first. Like I'm, yeah. and he's like, just calm down with the jokes, will you? Because it's really, um, you're nervous, aren't you? Yeah. But once they're calm and I'm, all, you know, I know that they feel comfortable, I calm down and then they can see me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's really, yeah. um, it is a, there is a knack to it. And I think it is the same as even looking at this podcast, you know, doing this podcast, you know, when Alice asked me if I wanted to do it, 
you know, I was like, yeah, brilliant. Because I would do anything to get somebody, uh, you know, a group of people to think. I don't want them to understand. I just want them to think. I just want them to have an internal dialogue with themselves. And, you know, and I would do, I would do, Fifty thousands of these podcasts. It doesn't bother me. This is not boring at all. This no. is exciting um, because we're having a probing discussion, you know, about things that are not normally discussed. So, you know, this dialogue is so important. This podcast is so important because you're looking at life through a different lens, and you know that's pinnacle for me. And you don't necessarily have to agree with what we say either, you know, so long as it's making you think, I think. That's right. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of what we're trying to set up here is that kind of interrogation of labels, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, I hate labels. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting to hear you sort of talking about trying to almost smooth the experience over for non-disabled people in their interactions with disabled people when you've kind of previously talked about being non-conformist and you know I I I personally can't help but feel as though that sort of smoothing over um and the gentle touch is you know less rocking the boat and and less drawing attention to oneself whereas you know you you kind of champion as well being seen as being different and you know applauded and recognized for not just the difference of your wheelchair but you know the difference of other elements of yourself and your personality yeah it's an interesting point and i do appreciate the paradox but I would disagree with the fact that smoothing the way is a non-conformist um, is a non-conformist view, because if you were to go by the my personal experience of what people believe about disabled people in the mainstream, most people believe that uh, we stink, uh, we're rude, uh, we think the world owes us something, that we don't have a productive role in society. Even our own current government believe that we're a drain on resources. Um, you know, so. Uh, while um, smoothing the way is not necessarily, you know, a fantastically exciting thing to do. It's not the most non-conformist thing that I do. But I actually do believe because of the overwhelming view of the mass that by smoothing the way, I am being non-conformist because I have a job. I have a mortgage. I have a partner. So yeah. when a government minister turns around and says to me, because um, he is saying to me, even though he may be addressing the commons, that I'm a drain on resources, you know, I can say, fuck you. And yeah. and by smoothing the way in a more polite, et- um, eloquent way, um, you know, I'm getting through much more red tape in people's brains mm. about the ability and about what is truly capable you know, mm. what we're truly capable of and what we truly can do, you know, in society. And the way to do that is to talk and to um, to negotiate and speak and not yell and not scream and not chain yourself to a bus and not take your clothes off and not do any of that malarkey because you're detracting from what you're trying to do. You just need to be yourself and need to take stock of who your audience is and, and adapt to that. 
interesting point there. Um, I quite like that you sort of, on the one hand, talked about being, you know, polite and eloquent to members of the public, and then yeah. turning around to members of the government and saying "fuck <laughs> you." Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a time and a place. But that, but that's an, but that's an internal, yeah. dialogue. Well, oh, and I, and, mm. I, and I think if there is anybody that we should be saying "fuck you" to, it is certainly our Tory government. Yeah, um, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> You know, totally. You know, when you think that, um, you know, um, we've had to fight for disability living allowance, you know, and we've had to fight for different things like that, you know, all, all of those things. But, mm. you know, I, I tend, to, you know, we can turn around and I can, you know, I can go, where was me? Oh, this life is so hard and I find it really tough and it's, I can do all of that. And I can give up and I can stay at home. And I could watch Jeremy Kyle on reruns all day and not do anything with my life because that is probably be what people would expect. Yeah. But the reality is I can't, I fundamentally can't do yeah. that because that's not in my DNA. I think, Lee, we are extremely similar in, in our outlook, really, because I find myself going, I agree with, I agree with everything you're saying. You know, when I was a, when I was a teenager, I, when I was moving into mainstream education, uh, for college and university, I was so worried that I was going to be the kind of person who would sort of sit at home and not do anything all day. And I was determined that I didn't want to be that kind of person. I wanted to be the, the person who was out there living my life regardless of any barriers I've got. And that gave me a lot of fire, I think, to not turn into that person. I didn't want to, you know, I was determined I wasn't going to. And I think there was a lot of, you know, you tell me you can't, I can't do something, I'll do it anyway. And I'll do it twice as better as you could. Yeah, but I also believe um, I went through a period of my life where I was in the way of stuff. Mm. You know, because society is powerful and it will dictate that you can't, I spent a long time on benefits. I didn't come off benefits until I was in my late twenties. And, um, and I started off as a volunteer for the CAB. I did my qualification in uh, generalist advice work. Um, I used to get paid one pound 30 a day because that was all that was allowed in relation to benefits and making sure it didn't interfere. Mm. And, uh, and then once I got my qualification, I got a job as a debt advisor, which I loved. And then I left that and went into insurance and I left that and I'm in my current role uh, as an advocate. But, you know, the point is, is that the voluntary sector gave me an idea of what was possible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's when I, you know, it's okay having all this belief and all this fire, but I didn't know how to put that interaction. I didn't know how to do that. And uh, it just took somebody to say, yeah, I, I think you'd be good. It, that feeling of getting a job and somebody's seen past all your other crap yeah. is one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, it is. Yep. I mean, I'm sitting here but at a computer, at a desk, with dictation software. The desk is provided by the government. The computer is provided by my um, organisation. Um, you know, I've got free taxis everywhere you know that i can have i've got i'm going to be having a support worker you know brilliant absolutely brilliant can't fault it but it is also down to interpretation again it's down to how you behave and how you perceived and making sure that you come across in the correct way it goes back to what i'm saying if you come across as demanding and saying i owe the world then you're not going to get the door is no. never going to open to you but if you go in with the idea is as saying i want to give back 
And I remember Vanessa saying to me, one of the things I really liked about your interview, you said that you wanted to help the silent voices. And that always struck with me. And she goes, and that's what got you the job. I don't like to be an inspiration, but I will happily be. Yeah, exactly. See, I have the same thing. <laughs> but I will happily be in your encouragement. Because if you can yes. see me doing it, yeah. and you're encouraged to go, I want to do that too, that yeah. is far better than going, oh, isn't that inspiring? I'll go and make a cup of tea now. No, I had a shit this morning. That was inspiring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, There's something very different about the language between inspiring and encouraging what inspiring what inspiration says to me is that a journalist doesn't know what else to say what yeah. words to use that's what it says to me and it's the knee-jerk reaction isn't it and that's all it is it's a cop-out word mm. it's a lazy word and you could there are so many other things that you could describe me as and it's empty as well it is it doesn't mean anything i'm not a disney movie no no sadly not but if they want to make one about me they <laughs> they get they could I'm looking forward to the big musical number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well I'm going to have uh, Genesis, I Can't Dance as my, <laughs> my, my, my theme tune. And the credits is going to be Walk This Way by Run DMC. But, you know. <laughs> so you talked about your job and you've talked about sort of what you do for work. And, you know, I know that your job is about advocating and supporting people um, with mental health issues and things like that. Tell us a little bit about um, how you sort of, do you feel as though there's an intersection between your sort of drive to uh, to support people like that and your disabled experience and, and sort of what is your disabled experience within that employment sphere? So the idea, I didn't realise that there was a um, sort of connection between my physical disability and somebody's mental disability um, until uh, until it happened. And I'm what they call an independent mental health advocate. And we are people that go on to um, mental health wards and we also work in the community um, to support people, um, making sure, particularly in hospitals, that we are, they are aware of their rights and what they're entitled to particularly under the Mental Health Act. And also, we also help the mentally unwell um, in the communities, um, accessing services where possible, assisting them with lots of things that could be in, empowering them for confidence to do their own uh, shopping. It could be helping them, empower them to write a letter, to make a complaint. We're not people that do stuff for them. Our primary role is to empower others mm. to make sure that they have access to their own potential because they are in control. Uh, so that's what we do. Um, and when I'm um, on a mental health ward, I'm in a manual wheelchair. Um, and normally when I go on the ward and I've got a client to see, they'll go, Christ, what happened to you? And, and what is really interesting about that, you could be talking to somebody who's a paranoid schizophrenic, you could be talking to somebody who's really, really poorly. And what is really beautiful about that is they are not interested in their own problems. They're interested in mine. And I think that's truly beautiful. Um, I've been prayed over um, and staff get very upset when they do that. And I said, leave me. Look, I need all the help I can get, <laughs> you know, and... Um, 
And basically what happens is you then give them something about your disability. You then give them what they need to know, your honesty, your, your straight talking. Mm. And then they will talk to you once you've given them the rights under the mental health act. They're much more forthcoming about opening up to you because you've given something of yourself. You've given a slice of pie. So I, I, I do believe that the two go hand in hand and it's a blessing um, because it does break down barriers. And I think that's really interesting. I think what you're saying about it sounds like it almost, you know, your experience, I think your experience of vulnerability, particularly for people who are in such vulnerable positions, such as, you know, mental health wards and mental health hospitals it it bridges that gap a little bit doesn't it whereas i think it can be quite intimidating you know from the people that i've worked with social workers who rock up in their suits and you know legal advisors and solicitors who turn up you know with their ties and their folders and you're sitting there going i can barely manage to you know organize myself enough to make a cup of tea having that clear visual vulnerability I think does make people more willing to talk to you and feel more you know able to talk to you and trust you because you're not just another sort of faceless professional so it's just really interesting and I never shy away from answering those questions ever nah ever no because again it goes back to image if you turn around and say you're not in the mood people don't realize that it's probably taken about 25 minutes for that person to summon up the qu- courage to ask that question in the first place so you have to run with it so the thing i'm not going to ask again ever no exactly which is far worse than the momentary embarrassment of what's wrong with you then yeah it's, then that's not embarrassed i'm never embarrassed by no. that because of the intention yeah no, so I'm not embarrassed by that at all. It's really interesting for me to hear you guys talk about that because so many of my conversations with people about what's wrong with me start because people assume that there is nothing wrong with me. They see me walking down the street with the dog. They see somebody in their early 30s and with a dog that looks quite young and, uh, you know, my visual impairment I'm able to discern faces and I can look at people when they're talking and make eye contact and things like that. So I don't quote unquote look blind. So <laughs> for lots of people, they come up and they start going, Oh, were you training the dog? How old is she? And I'm like, actually she's nearly on retirement. She's my working dog and I'm legally blind you get that moment of people go you sort of think how many of these people would have started talking to me had they known that that was going to be the answer they get and they're kind of almost forced then to go oh uh uh," and i have had some people who just just clam up just kind of go oh and then make their excuses and leave but But most people then ask more questions yeah well they have to ask more questions because they've got themselves in a hole yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the they need the spade to dig themselves back out again. So they, yeah, you know the, the the reality is it's like um, what I all and this is another thing that I, I get very serious and I've seen this from other disabled people and and because I've watched it lots of times I always make a point of not doing this. Um, so when I used to walk on crutches, mm. I, I used to swing. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, I'd fall over sometimes and uh, people would run 
and you know and help me you know and I'd, and I'd be fine but this one particular day I was on a bus and I grabbed I was grabbing all of the rail and I, and the bus stopped and it lurched and I fell off the bus Ooh, and this and this mother with her child desperately tried to help me up and she couldn't so anyway she said I'm sorry I can't help you I haven't got the strength so anyway I then got up myself and chased her down the road and I said look I just want you to know I'm really grateful for you mm -hmm. trying to help me. Do yeah. not let it stop you from asking somebody else. And whenever anybody asks me for help, ask for help, or ask if I want help, I always say no, but thank you for asking. Yeah. Because it's a positive experience. A lot of disabled people go, no, I don't want it. Do it myself. I can do it myself. You know, and they're very aggressive. And that's, that has a profound effect on people who really do generally need help yeah. and because of that bad experience it then stops people offering and and it causes problems there is the one thing that really does bother me a little bit though is the whole grabbing me before asking you know grabbing the chair or moving the chair before I, they just kind yeah, of yeah. see me as a movable object that is a bit yeah well that's because you're an object not human yeah exactly. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that that is when i will lose my rag i don't lose i don't lose my rag because i just think in my mind i i I suppose it's a bit of a Napoleon complex. Uh, you fight the you fight the fights you can win. Yeah. And I can't be bothered. <laughs> and I'll just think, oh fuck it. If I they mean, wanna do if they wanna push my chair and do the hokey cokey, oh, I don't give a shit. I don't care. Because this experience isn't gonna last very long. No. And you know, and I can get back to my normal life. Because I'm not gonna be able to change that person's perception while they're doing that. No. I'm only going to be able to change that person's view when they're sat down having a drink. I think I think most, the reason why I will probably kick off is not because I'm necessarily offended, although I, you know, I am offended that you think, see me as an object rather than a person, but it's out of like being quite frightened because you don't know what's going on in that, in that split second. If somebody's moving you and you, you, you know, you've been stationary for a while and somebody starts mm. moving you without even saying, hello, do you mind if I move you at that? I think we'll make Well, I'm not being funny. I'm a fat bastard. And if somebody tried to move me, I'd, they'll probably break their back. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, sweet revenge. For me, it's quite frightening when somebody sort of look, shoves me without even saying, I'm just going to move you because yeah. I can't get past. If they move me because they want to get to the tomatoes in Marks and Spencers or whatever, without saying, excuse me, you know, could, I, could you move? But then again, I get the other side of the coin where they see me down an aisle and there's plenty of space to get around me and they will go right round the other side and come back up rather than coming down the aisle rather than ask me to move or they think that because i'm in a wheelchair i must be have mind powers and can read people's minds and they'll stand there looking at me without saying excuse me please and and i'm like i can't see you just say excuse yeah. me the reality is i don't have that shit because i do it all online <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's again it's quite interesting for me to, like I definitely get you know if I'm in a supermarket I have I either have people they will lean over me yeah. to avoid the dog and I'm like oh yeah because she's she's ferocious she's gonna bite you savage yeah yeah or I have people stand like to the side and wait for me to notice them and I'm sort of I'm like 
That's you are going to be waiting a long time for me to see you standing over there in the where most people couldn't see you. Never mm. mind the person with limited vision. Yeah, but I see it as a, I see that as a different thing. I, you know, I mean that's your experience, Alison. I fully respect that, but I actually think that's quite touching because you know that's somebody trying to be aware. Oh no, I know? do. I do appreciate that. It's just I think. If you're going to do that, maybe also say, excuse me, can I just get past? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. That's or right. you know, are yeah, you done? I agree. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And again, that's fear. Fear, that's yeah. all. That. I've had it before where I've gone, excuse me, please. And the person with the trolley has pushed themselves so far close to the bread. They're kind of like spreading like across the bread. Like I'm, whilst apologizing as I get, I'm so very sorry. I'm so very sorry. I was in the way. I'm so very sorry. As I roll past them. And I think, all right, there's no need to be dramatic about it. Like stop causing a scene. You're the one causing a scene. And I've just gone, excuse me, please. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I'm, Oh, you see, I, I like to walk up behind <laughs> groups of people who are standing in the middle of the pavement and wait until me and the dog are basically on top of them before making a big song and dance about going, oh, can't Lola, what's wrong? Why can't we get past? We should be able to walk through. Brilliant. Oh, well, there are people in the way. Brilliant. You have to take, you have to have your little moments of fun, otherwise it's just boring. Oh, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think when it's, you know, if, if if there's a person who's trying, it's a very different story to people who would just be an ignorant. Yeah. You know, yeah. if someone is trying to approach me and trying to ask questions and they're feeling awkward and nervous about it, you know, I, I do try and be more patient with them. It's hard sometimes when you've had a shitty day yeah, yeah. already and, yeah. you know, kind of go, I don't, do I have to really carry your emotional, you know, baggage to, to your emotional work on top of my own today? You know, but when, when people are just staring or the thing that I, I find really hard, the thing that's kind of the biggest trigger for me is when people go, oh, well, you don't look. And then you want, I want them to finish that sentence. I'm like, I don't look what? And I know what they want to say. They want to say blind. I just, I just like to wait while they suddenly go that's probably not a great sentence but i'm already too far through it now what can i say mm. and you know to see people scrabble because i sort of want to go you might be surprised that i'm a guide dog user but if i have to do the work of having to teach everybody that i come across in the street about what a guide dog user is and what that means then you can do a little bit of work on thinking about how you phrase your yeah. responses yeah, yeah. to me it's a relationship that has to happen both ways yeah you know and sometimes alice we're not actually there when that second interaction takes place as in we may feel that we've lost that relationship you know that they haven't given back what we expected you know but we're yeah. sometimes we're not actually necessarily there when that interaction hits home mm -hmm. you know, and that we've actually won that argument or won that discussion or won that experience you know in a positive way we're not actually there yeah. to see it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we haven't done a good job yeah there are times i don't know if you get this lee where you think this would not happen i would not be in this situation if i was not in a wheelchair if i was not if i did not have cerebral palsy and you think this is going in the book 
This is going in the book of my life. That that is true, but it's a kind of it's a kind of a, a, a rabbit hole I don't go down. No, because I have got cerebral palsy. Yeah, and I am in this situation. Yeah, so I, I kind of don't go down that route. Um, what I tend to go is, uh, okay, you know, and and I just get on with it because I think because my energy is really precious mm. as I'm old. Uh, um, you know, I haven't got the expense of energy to waste my energy on somebody who doesn't deserve to have that energy wasted upon them. No. So I try to um, retain it as much as I can. Yeah. Somebody has to really piss me off uh, to, um, you know, get my beef. But, but yeah, you know. there are times where I think my life is bizarre. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It makes me interested at in dinner parties. Well, well, that's right. And you know, as I said, I get the front row. You know, get front row at Disneyland, or get you know, it has its perks. Right? Oh yeah, it's not completely you know, miserable. I get, to meet, I get to meet celebrities who are stupid enough to feel sorry for me. You yeah. know, and yeah. you know, and uh, you know, that's cool. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. And you get really good photos with them because they will kneel down. They'll get really close to you because they think this is yeah, great for right. my PR yep. image. Um, that's right. Help the cripples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. Yep. So it's there are there are privileges, and and I don't want anybody going away from this chat and thinking, you know, or or this podcast really, and thinking, oh, it must be. It's all down in the dumps and no, not at all. We've got. No. It's not that at all, is it? Really, there is, no. There is no. a lot of joy I, to be had. I, you know, at the end of the day, I do not focus on. You cannot. You can't go through life. Yes, I have. Every day, I always say, I don't want to be disabled. I want to be able-bodied like everybody else. That's yeah. what I always say first thing in the morning. But I don't mean it. No. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I kind of mean it. I'd like to be able to tie my own shoelaces. You know, yeah. um, that sort of thing. But but the reality is, you know, my life is my life. There's not a lot else I can do. And kicking and screaming about it is like, ooh, that's a waste of energy, isn't it? Yeah. So why bother? Yeah, for me, it's it, it took a long time to get to the point of the thing I always think about is standing in the bathroom and dropping the lid to my foundation or my moisturizer or whatever. And being on my knees and having searched for it for three or four minutes and still not being able to find it, it I knew I'd hit a turning point in my ability to kind of just go, this is the these are the cards I've been dealt, this is the life I've got, I've got to get on with it. When I stopped getting really frustrated and really wound up and, you know, sitting in the bathroom in tears going, I hate being blind, and started just leaving the bathroom and going, you know, Lola, there's a lid on the floor in there. Don't chew it. And just waiting until my husband or a sighted person comes along and I can go, oh, if you see that, can you put it back on the moisturizer? It seems, I'm sure to people who haven't experienced those kind of situations, it seems really obvious. And it seems like what, you know, of course you just, because it's not a big thing. But when it happens to you 10 times a day, mm, it yeah. can be really wearing. And so... It's, yeah. It takes a lot of work to get yourself to a point of being able to go, I can't control this. I can't stop this. So I can mm. either exhaust myself being upset about it 
or I yeah. can try and get on with doing other things because yeah, life is going to just keep going, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And also, I think what you're actually doing, and I, I totally get where you're coming from, Alice, you know, and the reality is, is actually what you're trying to do is deny that there's anything wrong. Mm. You know, deny that you actually aren't going to be able to find yeah. your foundation because it's too fucking small and you can't see it. You know, so, um, and actually, most people who've got full sight probably wouldn't be able to find a foundation lead anyway. So, you know, but the reality is, is that you will go to a point and you'll go, what the fuck am I struggling for? Mm. When I've got a husband that'll just go, it's down there, I'll pick it for you. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, that's, that's the reality. There are always going to be things either that we can't do or that we find difficult. And I can't. There's no, I can't change that. Neither can Alice. Neither can uh, Lucy. You know, we we are. The, uh, but I tend not to focus on those things. I tend to go. But what I can do is I can be reflective. What I can do is I can act. What I can do is I can do all of these things. And you know, I try not to focus on what I can't do. If you listen to me, getting ready. If you were to live in my house and you were the room next door and you could listen, you could hear me getting ready in the morning. There is me trying to put my face in in the morning because I've got ham hands um, yeah. that just do not cooperate when I'm doing fiddly little things. So, like, yeah. I will drop lids, I will drop eyeliner pencils, I will drop lipstick, I will I will poke myself in the eye with mascara, and I'm going, yeah. oh, this is, oh, Jesus Christ, oh, God, like this. and <laughs> But I'm not swearing at the whole world going... No, but you're no, you're doing exactly the same as anybody else. Exactly. I mean, I drop my eyeliner every morning. Just my head in. I tell you, it's very, very annoying when it breaks the nib. When you've just oh. like, like, terrible. Um, when I was at college, I used to wear full makeup every day, and I used to get the carers to crimp my eyeliner, crimp my eyelashes, and um, I had to go to the um, student union to get them to do it because they refused to do it. Really? Because I, uh, I couldn't do my eyeliner as well. Because like you, I got spazzy hands. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd wear full makeup foundation, the whole caboodle. And, uh, you know, and I had to get um, help with putting that on. And they said, it's not part of our agreement. I said, yes, it is. It's because it's something I can't do myself. Was it was it like the adamant sort of look? Is that what we're talking about? Of course it wasn't, Alice. I'm a Prince fan. Why would it be an adamant? Oh, Prince. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did forget about your love of Prince. Yeah, yeah, my obsession. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I just, I basically what I did was I went into Body Shop uh, in 1991, I think. Yeah. And I just said, and it was a really freaky experience. I had a long... I have long permed hair um, and I walked in and I said to the man, I want to look like this. And I showed him a picture of Prince's face, you know, like very lit up, not, not full on, you know, war paint, but you know, just a normal natural look. You could could probably got it on. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, so I said, that's what I want. And I turned and I looked at his lapel and he had a Prince symbol on his lapel. Oh, wow. So he knew exactly what what it was that I wanted. And he did all the makeup. He put it all on for me and showed me how to do it. Did me the diagrams. Great. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah, so that's what I did. All that, that's what I did. You know, and that's part. And I used to get, you know, I was abused, verbally abused for wearing makeup in, in college and stuff. Um, but, you know, I wanted to express myself. 
it's it goes back i think to something the conversation that me and lucy had quite early on in the podcast about sort of being seen for something other than you know your mobility aid it's yeah. you know lucy's got a bright red hair and you've got your purple hair and stuff like that yeah. it's it's that see me for this other thing that i am so i'm not just the guy in a wheelchair i'm the guy in the wheelchair with the purple hair well my my thing is um my thing is it's a celebration mm. you know um I, I got into prince when i was 14 years old and i was still trying to figure out who i was and what i wanted to do and and who i wanted to be and at the time i was having you know, horrific time trying to integrate into society. And, um, you know, listening to his music, you know, he was basically saying, celebrate your difference. Don't hide your difference. If you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. If you want to wear a lady's scarf, wear a lady's scarf and wear it with pride. And, um, and I did. Um, and uh, it totally empowered me as a, as a human being. And I did, and inadvertently, it drew attention away from what was wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Not what, what was wrong, but you know what my disability was. Yeah. So, hmm, why is he wearing makeup? Hmm, why is he? You know, all of those sort of things. Um, you know, and it actually served as a massive purpose for me. And you know, and still, you know, nearly fifty. Um, you know, I'm still dyeing my hair purple. Still, you know, very much an advocate of you know allow the fireworks or creativity and, and difference to be celebrated. Um, yeah, I'm still very much like that, just like I was when I was 17. Mm. Dyeing my hair red is part of who I am now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it just, again, it's like what you said, it distracts from everything else. So yeah. people are more likely to go, oh, that's a nice colour red. Yeah. When I lost my job at the CAB, um, I um, obviously, I hammered the job market yeah you know and um anyway my you know you every cripple gets a disability advisor don't they and um so anyway <laughs> she said he said um how many um applications have you made you know in the last two weeks i went 11 and he went what i went 11 i said i want to work i don't want to be on the dole necessarily any less or longer than Oh, yeah. because I don't need, think I need to see you for some time. No. And then when I got a, when I got an interview, I got an interview. My one of my first ever interviews I got was for Costco. Right. And um, I turned up in a bright purple suit, cream shirt, DMs, suited and booted, dressed to the nines, looking immaculate. Most of the people in that queue looked like they just got out of bed. And um, I went through the thing and they said, oh, look, we don't think it's a good idea you apply for this job because their reputation for disability is not good. And I said, I want to apply. I said, I think it'd be good. Anyway, and I had to go for s uh, seven interviews. Um, just for the one job? Just for the one job, yeah. Jesus Christ! But, but when I went... Proud, not the MI5! Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, when I went, but when I went for this first job, when I went for the first interview, these two girls, women, I should say, I went to open the door and walked in. They both said in harmony, nice suit. <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, and that started the whole thing, you know, when they liked me and then I got through to the next day and, and I got shortlisted to the last three and I didn't get the job. But, but the, but the point I'm trying to make is it's, it, it's all, you know, it was a detraction 
from my crutches the purple suit you know that's why yeah. i wear it yeah you know that's that's what it's all about because it's about that's the, the crutches aren't me this is me and, mm. and this is what you need to look at you know it's a bit it's a bit like isn't it women going excuse me like you know people who get, get their boobs stare that they go excuse me i'm up here hello i'm up here rather so it's with us, it's like don't look at the I chair. I have that problem me. all the time. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's, but it is. It's like don't look at my chair. Look at me. Don't look at my chair. Look at me. Or don't look at my mobility aid. Or don't look at my, you know, assistance animal. Look at me. Hello. Yeah, I, I don't say it out loud, no. but I'd like to think that my personality is so powerful that they've yeah. got no choice. You know. Yeah. No, I do, I agree with you, Lily. I think this has been really interesting, guys, getting your sort of your two the perspectives on your kind of wheelchair experience. This has been really interesting for me. Oh, I'm I'm pleased. I hope I've uh, you know, I'm hope I'm helping in this uh, endeavor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things that me and Lucy have said is that we we really feel like we're quite lacking on sort of male voices. So it's really nice to have a man who who is willing to kind of come on and put himself out there and talk about his experience. Yeah, yeah. I'm an open book, as I said in my questionnaires. You know, mm. I don't have, there's no limits. Ask what you want. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have this pretentiousness, you know, I don't have that. No. So, so ask what you like. And I think I'm I'm quite happy with everything we've covered so far. Lucy, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground now. And I think what, yeah, I think so. what we've talked about has been very... Um, interesting and informative is there anything that you want to sort of say lee uh no i just um it's been a real privilege uh to uh be part of this uh collective um and if it's you know if you need any further help or uh, further podcasting you know i'd be happy to you know stay Thank connected you. uh so it's a real real privilege uh, is there anything like? Do you want to plug your theatre group or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I will. We, ha I'm part of a theatre company called Ego Performance Company. We are still running groups even during lockdown, and there is a YouTube channel uh, where you can see all the um, uh, episodes of our lockdown soap called Corona Nation Street. There's twenty episodes. And watch this space because there's going to be a Christmas special. Um, and we are still, we are always looking for members. Um, we have a website. If you put Ego Performance Company in Google, it will come up uh, and you can contact We'll put it all on that. the show notes. Yeah, in the description. I, I've really enjoyed being grilled. Have you? It's, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's really interesting because actually I'm talking about something that um, normally bores people um, um, and um, my view is probably different to most and uh, you know to meet two people that are you know actually saying actually I'm, I'm really interested in this I'm really interested in what you're saying and uh, you know I'm going to take some stuff away from this and I will myself also you know is is a really positive thing i'm going to have a very positive day as a mm. result of this experience oh well, thank you so much for, oh. uh, for joining us and agreeing to uh, come on yeah I, I'm, I'm just very happy it's a it's a great thing and i would say the label thing i love <laughs> um i just hate labels yeah if there wasn't yeah. any label if there wasn't any labels um nobody would be in pain you know i really do believe that yeah definitely yeah their measure is their label and if you mm. didn't have that label you wouldn't be in pain anymore no 
you know mm. if you think about it i it's, lucy is lucy and alice is alice lucy is not lucy with a disability lucy is lucy and alice is alice we shouldn't even be talking about it yeah they're just too they're, it's irrelevant yes it has to be considered when you're doing stuff but as a as a whole your disability is irrelevant it's an it's a non-starter in a conversation it should just be this is lucy and this is alice and the fact that you've got a wheelchair doesn't matter and the fact that alice has got a um sight dog doesn't matter it, this is alice mm. you know and and this is lucy and that's where it should be and um and you know we are moving towards that way but i think actually at the moment society is going for a massive thing where they love labels and they love celebrating labels and i can't stand it i no. run a mile away and uh, that's and uh, i you know if i was to give any last thought on that is is that Labels are not something to be celebrated. There's something to be, there's something to be feared, because um, they they can be quite dangerous and quite destructive and quite a burden. It's been really interesting to have you on, Lee. Thank you so much for no, your sort of no, thoughts and, and your insights. No yeah, really happy to be here. And thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall, our music composer, Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer, Sarah Coley. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.